If it's good, you know it. That, says Alfredo Paredes, is the foundation of his design philosophy, one he's put into practice at his new multidisciplinary design studio, committed to excellence in projects ranging from residential and hospitality to special events and product development. Paredes knows how to harness design to tell a story and create an entire world in a single project, be it a room, a residence, a restaurant, or a hotel, all of which translates to an exceptional experience for clients in search of the extraordinary. I'm a multidisciplinary creative director taught by the best, he notes. Whether working on retail or hospitality projects, home design, special events, or product development, all of Paredes's work has been at the most elevated level. The designer, who's been described as having visually perfect pitch, is an industry veteran who spent 33 years creating environments, experiences, and products at Ralph Lauren, most recently in the role of executive vice president and chief creative officer. During his tenure with the company, Paredes was in charge of global store design and architecture and was the creative force behind the women's and home flagship on Madison Avenue, as well as the one on Boulevard Saint-Germain in Paris. He also oversaw the creation of an array of stores the world over, including ones in Hong Kong, Sao Paulo, Moscow, and Palm Beach, to name a few. With his expert eye and sharp sense for detail, Paredes was responsible for the famed visuals in the windows of the Madison Avenue mansion and other retail stores around the globe, not to mention the conception and design of the now legendary Polo Bar in Manhattan. What's more, Paredes led the home design studio, creating everything from fabrics to flatware and helmed once-in-a-lifetime spectaculars, such as Lauren's 50th anniversary fashion show and party in Central Park. Prior to his three-decade career at Ralph Lauren, Paredes worked in visuals for Laura Ashley and Britches of Georgetown. He's a graduate of the Art Institute of Atlanta. Says Paredes, good design has the power to transport you to other places and other states of mind. Those are just the sorts of creative enterprises in which Alfredo Paredes Studios specializes. The fashioning of spaces, home furnishings, and unique events designed to accelerate the pulse of clients with even the biggest dreams. The firm's mission is to create extraordinary environments and unforgettable experiences. We're detail-oriented, Paredes says, and we obsess over everything. Well, Alfredo, we're obsessed with you and are so excited that you could join us today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Alfredo. Hi, Paloma. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to speak with you. I've, I'm, a, I'm a virgin. I've never done a podcast before. So well, lucky it should me. be interesting. <laughs> It should be fun. I'm yeah. just so excited to hear more about your story because I think it's really fascinating. And one thing that um, I'm sure our readers or our listeners will love to hear about is this extraordinary career that you've had. You've spent 33 years at ex basically the helm of Ralph Lauren as executive vice president and chief creative officer. And now you've launched your own studio. Did you know that you were always destined to do something creative with your life? You know, to, to be honest, growing up, uh, you know, I was one of those kids that was completely uh, uh, driving my parents crazy, being hyper creative, you know, drawing, crafts, gardening, anything that I could get into that was an escape into a creative or fantasy world. You know, it was just... Um, you know, I have memories of my parents that would, when they would leave me alone to babysit my three siblings as I'm the oldest, mm -hmm. 
they would come back home and I'd completely had restyled the entire house. <laughs> like I'd make them drag, make them drag the uh, the furniture out onto the, you know, into the backyard and I'd bring it all back in and it was somewhere else. And, you know, at first they didn't know what to do with themselves, but as I like to remind them, they were the same parents who would uh, sit me at a chair and project Picassos and a slide, mm -hmm. you know, and have me literally take a magic marker and copy them on the walls of my house growing up. Oh, wow. So, no surprise. That's hilarious. Yeah, so what, you know, what did they expect? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, come on. Seriously. Where did... My grandfather was an artist, so he, he was a big influence too. But that was, you know, that's what it was that's like. That's amazing. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Coconut Grove in okay. Miami. I'm first generation Cuban-American. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, that's what... That's where it all started. Mm -hmm. How would you say, if at all, did, did growing up in Miami influence your aesthetic? Or do you feel like your Cuban culture has influenced your eye for style in any way? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a good question. But it's one that, you know, when my family left, my parents were very young and they met in Miami and they were married in Miami. And when they, when they had me, I grew up in Coconut Grove, which was the center of like, counterculture hippie you know art scene not that they were particularly that way themselves but i guess that's where they they and their friends found themselves so that absolutely 100 percent uh affected the way i saw the world i probably lived there till about 10 or 11 years old and they moved out but but it was so interesting because at the same time they were sort of recovering from the the i call the post Havana, you know, hangover of like the, what they used to say was, you know, the high life mm -hmm. in, in Havana. So it was, uh, it was, it was interesting. I mean, I taught them to speak English. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So how did you eventually land in New York? Well, that's a long story. Not, not, well, how do, how do I end up landing in New York? I want when i was a teenager and decided that i actually wanted to attend art schools and apply to art schools my father wasn't having it and he said no 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 you're going to go to uva and study architecture i was like wait are you kidding me i'm failing every math class miserably and it's you know me that's not that's not, i mean i don't even think i graduated high school without having to go back to finish some silly math class and what i really wanted to do was study fashion illustration because I was one of those kids that just loved to illustrate what, you know, things like that. And I, and he wasn't having it. So the idea of moving to New York was really out of the, out of the realm of possibility at that mm -hmm. age. So I started to apply to schools closer. And one of them was the Art Institute of Atlanta that had fashion illustration, which to be honest was a nice, was a, was a nice education, but it wasn't what I really dreamed to do, but it got me from Atlanta, from to Atlanta, from Atlanta, I moved to DC and from DC, I moved to New York and all in, in like a four year thing, four year trajectory. That's amazing. So then you ended up working at Laura Ashley, I read. And yeah. <laughs> tell me a little bit about- I, I mean, honestly, honestly, I have no, these things, you, you, you look back, there's a photo of me standing in that store in a, you know, in an apron and a tie out of like a floral, glazed chins <laughs> with 28 women and I was like 19 years old happy as a clam take I had like 19 moms taking care of me and it was awesome 
And it was at a time too, where I guess Laura Ashley, I mean, I didn't know anything about her, obviously growing up in Florida, but at the time she was a, she had 12 stores in the U S and Atlanta was one of the biggest ones. I mean, makes sense given hoop skirts and cotillion mm -hmm. balls and, you know, that whole aesthetic. And it was a great place for me to sort of, you know, within, I started off in the home department because I wasn't selling women's clothes. I was selling bolts of, you know, I think they used to call it, was it, you know, whatever the, whatever the fabric was called, I would sit, sit back there and rip yards of it off of bolts and sell it to women. And the woman that was in charge of visual there uh, at the time had, had resigned and they just looked at me and said, you want to do it? And I was like, well, okay, can't, yeah, why not? And it was really great. And I, you know, Laura, Laura, her, which was alive at the time, really loved what I was doing. And, you know, <laughs> the rest is history. It worked. I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it was formulaic, but really, I really understood mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? At the time, I mean, I really understood it. And then in Atlanta at the same time, and so you see working in the, in the, in display at the time was a way to get through art school. So there was another company there at the time called Bridges of Georgetown. And there was a man named Stephen Brady, who I'm still dear friends with, who was the creative director for that company. And then he proceeded to become the creative director of Ralph Lauren when they opened the mansion and he connected me and I came and I had an interview and they hired me on the spot. Wow. And that was it. And I, and it was all within four years of my planning to move to New York. So did you begin <laughs> at Ralph Lauren in a merchandising role? No, when I was hired at the store on Madison Avenue, the Rhinelander mansion, um, you know, I mean, was about two months from being open. So I don't, I don't own anything other than I was there to, on the creative team to set it up. Mm -hmm. I was part of the visual team once it opened, taking care of it. I did all the window changes. I designed the windows, those interiors, those home departments. We just were the crew that, you know, were like residents in a hospital that took care of that store. And I did, you know, it was intense. It was, it was intense, but I, everything that we did, the whole world viewed, you know, it was really amazing. Everybody, sure. it was like a museum. People would stand outside on, you know, velvet ropes to get wow. it back in the day. And yeah. Well, it had to be so cool, especially so, young in your career like that, to be part of such an iconic, globally recognized brand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I walked in the door like the first day they walked me through the store while it was being finished to be decorated. And I was like, oh, whoa, I'm staying like this is the company, you know, somebody that's struggling to figure out what they're going to do creatively. I can work here and make a living. Are you kidding? And it was awesome. So from that point on, um, you know, a lot of different things started to change for me and, uh, and the rest is history. You Can know? you tell us a little bit about your ascension at Ralph Lauren? I know you were there obviously for three decades, which is hard to believe because you're still young, but you were well, thank there. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate that because there are days where I sort of feel like what <laughs> happened? Like what, where, you know, what happened? But, you know, and I was telling somebody the other day that when I started there, Ralph was about my age oh, now. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm like, okay, well, there's another 30 years I can keep doing this. So, you know, 
But, uh, but well, you know, I, I was working there at dealing with the visual for that particular store. Um, I had the, the, the person in charge of all the creative teams at the time was a man named Jeff Walker, who I really looked up to. And he uh, was really the one that opened my eyes and taught me a lot within, like, within the first two or three years that I was there. And then about at his 40th birthday, he, by the time he was 40, he had died of AIDS. Mm. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, I don't think I was 25 or 26 or 27. So it was a shock. It was a shock. And it was hard because he kept it to himself. And it was a lot of denial and la, 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 right, as you wow. can imagine. And so then about a year later, or maybe a year and a half later, I feel like, and again, it was so long I lose track, but I was promoted to be, to take on uh, a, a vice president of creative services and uh, Polo Store Development, which was basically the global developing of stores around the, you know, Polo Stores around the world. Um, and creative services was all the creative teams, visual, merchandising, um, showrooms, events, fashion shows, whatever we did for the company that was creative, I led the teams that did that. And that was really fun. And we built stores everywhere and it kept growing. And then we started building our own stores. And I built uh, a store in London, the, the store on Bond Street, the store in Paris, the store in Moscow. Uh, we redid, just you name it, we did it. In the middle of all that, around the time that I was working, because I also worked on a lot of Ralph's personal projects. Mm -hmm. At the time, we were working on a house in Jamaica that was has been published a lot called Cottage 26. In Round Hill. Yeah. Yeah, in Round Hill. And it's, the, it's not his main house. It's a house that he bought later that's now all white with blue accents. That's anyway, the one that's like right everywhere. on the edge of the water, right? That's right by the that's pool. Right, that's yeah. right. We love that's Round right. Hill. We yeah. stay there um, just about every year we go. So very familiar. Well, then you know it. You know it. Yes. You know, that that house uh, if I originally belonged to Babe Paley mm -hmm. and Bill Paley. And he redid, we redid it. And around that time, he asked me to, if I you know, wanted me to take over the home design department as well. So I started doing that too. And so the my days, the rotations could get pretty crazy as far as what track of. That's a lot of responsibilities. I can only yeah. imagine. I mean, that's a that's a big job. It was a big job. And I, I fortunately had really I fortunately I had really great people working with me. You know, really talented people and Ralph's I had lots of support from Ralph and I was able to, you know do it for I want to say I was doing that 20 years mm -hmm. wow. <laughs> I can't even keep track I keep track on cycles of like you know years and seasons but well to amazing. that to that end you mentioned you know you you obviously were overseeing diff very different facets of the company and different um, arms of the company as well because I know that you were involved heavily in home but you were also consulting on things for fashion and obviously Mr. Lauren's own residences which I'm sure is a huge task in and of itself yeah. you mentioned having a lot of people under you to help you execute all of that what advice do you have for leading a team because you have I, I'm, I can only imagine you were a very effective leader if you were in the position that you were in for so long? Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I, what I would say to that is, A, 
I had a great relationship with Ralph that lasted three decades. So at a certain point, there was a lot of trust there and a lot of uh, ability to, I don't want to say ghost write for him, but we didn't really, we didn't really belabor a lot of things together. So therefore I was able to do the same with my people. And I'm also a really big believer. I don't, I, I kind of, take a project and try to visualize it from beginning to end and really, really, really obsess about what that is before we even get started. So because there have been periods in my life I didn't do that and I end up in, in sort of potholes along the way of stuff that you're like hitting yourself in the head, like how did we not see that coming, you know? Mm-hmm. And sort of try to instill that into your people so that you end up not micromanaging them either, you know? And then really trusting them and then sort of saying, you don't need, I don't, I don't need to tell you what to do, you know what to do. And that's how I managed for a long time. And again, I had people working for, with me when I left that had been there with me for 25 years. That's so amazing. that was a real gift. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. What would you say has been or was the most challenging part of working for such an iconic brand? Hmm. Well, I, 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 the only thing I would say is growth. You know, the growth of a company that when I started was felt large to me at 1200 people that when I left was in the 20,000s of people and, and a publicly traded company and, you know, just a lot of corporate um, expectations that were when we were smaller and could be more detail oriented and more connected to uh, the creativity, you know, and it, you know, and, and that was the only, that was it, you know, just scaling what we were doing and keeping it going, you know, and keeping the high expectations in place. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that brand is really, was really, I mean, we worked really hard to keep the expectation high, you know? So I think after, at a certain point that, that got, that became more and more difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can only imagine. And I feel like as the company grows and as you mentioned, it becomes publicly traded and there's a different set of expectations um, from the board and all of that. I would imagine that starts to sort of permeate the culture to some degree, or you have to work really, really hard in order not to let it do so. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and all valid, you know, that's the only thing that became, became challenging is how do you keep your, the same level of expectation when you're just spreading yourself out so thin without like right. basically living around the thing because right. you know that, that's not that doesn't that's not what it's about sure is there a lesson from your time at Ralph Lauren that you still carry with you today a lesson what's the question you oh sorry can you hear me okay okay yeah yeah perfect. um is there a lesson that you carry with you to this day from your time at Ralph Lauren? Yeah, I think for me, the, the concept of think big, think when you approach something, don't, don't, you know, don't be sort of intimidated by it. Think big and to trust your ability. I mean, Ralph really taught me that. Um, and and to have faith in you know i i guess the way of looking at it is look go for 100 and if you get 75 it's way better than if you got 25 does does that make sense like really 
aspire to something that is exciting and that you can make happen. Absolutely. Trust your ability to do it. Does that make sense? I have a lot of, you know, which is a new thing when you have your own business starting out because you don't want to, you know, it's all, it's all new, but it's definitely something that I picked up there, which again, if you saw what I had responsibility of, that was a lot, but I, but I, I was able to pull it off based on that philosophy. You can do it. Right. You know, that's true. I mean, if you have to have that belief and, you're sort of right. I think if you don't go for it, you're just going to remain exactly where you are. It's better to, to risk it right. and almost make it, but. Right. It's your growth edge, right? right? Exactly. If you didn't go there, you'll never know. That's right. You'll never know. And a lot, and I feel like that scares a lot of people. And, you know, and my mother used to say that I was inconsciente, like I didn't have a conscience <laughs> and I do. What a thing to say. <laughs> And, and I, and, you know, and so I just operated from that place of take the leap, you know, mm -hmm. figure it out, you know, don't be afraid. It's all good, you know, and that, I think that comes from the passion and your, you know, creative people have in their gut to, to do things, you know? So, and I learned that, I mean, listen, I had it already, but Ralph, really, when we met, we were like eye to eye, like we, you know, we, we're going to do this. Isn't this exciting? You know, let's go, let's go for it. And I, and I, and I appreciated that to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a, a more inspiring mentor when it comes to thinking big and really taking huge challenges because yeah. he's created something that is so unique. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and yeah. And inspired so many people. I mean, there's been so many people that have worked there and, you know, that have bought his clothes and his things. So it's amazing. Well, it's, it's funny. I, it's, I know so many people who came through what I like to call the hallowed halls of Ralph Lauren, because it is sort of like the University of Ralph Lauren on the East Coast or, you know, the Pottery Barn, William Sonoma or Gap organization on the West Coast. There's so many creatives right. that come out of these different companies and spend all of their time sort of training and some sort of visual field um, in retail and then eventually go out and become interior designers or they do all kinds of really cool creative things. So yeah. I'm sure you've met a lot of these people along the way since you were there yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them worked in my department. I bet. It was well, yeah. speaking of taking risks, a few years ago, you decided to leave all of this behind and start your own multidisciplinary studio. How did you know it was it was time that you were ready to go out and do your own thing? Well, you know, um, honestly, I think the birth of my daughter, Carolina, mm -hmm. who is now six and a half, really had me sort of stop and say, you know, I, I wanna do things, I wanna slow down. Not slow down, I wanna do things differently. If I'm gonna do anything differently, I, I, now's the time in her lifetime. You know, uh, I want to be able to travel how I want to travel with them, spend more time, more flexible time, which at the time I was couldn't really didn't feel. I mean, this, of course, was pre pandemic. So life was very different, but it wasn't going to be. I just needed to. I felt like it was, it was the time for the big jump was in, um, in the midst. You know, I, I was getting to it because I sort of said to myself, if I'm going to am I just going to stay and retire from Ralph Lauren or am I going to at some point, jump. And, you know, as, as they say, the, the trapeze bar, get on the other bar. And, and I did, you know, that's, that's how that happened. I got, I had Ralph's support. I had the company's support, but it was, it was just time. 
Was this um, sort of a, a time to assess? Is it the QTD? Is that what William says? William Lee, your former colleague at Ralph Lauren? Quality time what? left? A QTL. That's what he said. <laughs> Quality time left? Yes. Uh, no, it wasn't even that. It was like, it was like how long I started to realize that I really had stuff I wanted to say on my own, that it was that mm -hmm. I, I wanted to have... Uh, just, just a chance to go do something else and on my own. And, and obviously Ralph totally understood that. And, and, and as frightening as that may have sounded, I felt like I had so much experience and, and um, credibility that I just needed to step out there and do it. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it, I, it's been great. The first year I did exactly what my mentors told me to do, which was, what you need to do is go off and not think about it. Don't think about what's next. Don't, don't worry about it. Unravel yourself. I've been working since I was 15 years old and you know, just, just, just don't think about it, which let me tell you, it was really hard. It's really real. That's the biggest challenge. Yeah. Do not do it. And, and then I, I did it and <laughs> about a year, uh, but when I came out of that year, I decided what I really wanted to do was, you know, stay along the same veins of what I was doing, but on a much smaller scale and a much more precise, for lack of a better word, bespoke uh, business, you know, for, for, and, and, and cause that's what I love to do. Well, I have a hard time unplugging even on a long weekend trip. So my hat's off to you for being able uh, oh to. Oh my gosh. Sort Let of me tell you, people act like you've had a nervous breakdown, especially in New York. Like what? Because <laughs> everyone works in New York, you know, or, or in L.A. And so so but it, once you get through it, you know, it was great. It's really good for you. I can. I mean, that sounds amazing. I feel like everyone could probably, especially after 2020, could use a little time off to unplug and sort of reconnect with their inner purpose and their goals and totally. sort of just be. That sounds Amazing. So what did you come out of that time with? What you decided you wanted to do exactly what you were doing, what you were passionate about, but to have Well, I didn't know control? that. I mean, listen, I didn't know specifically, but I knew that I wanted to open a studio that could take on a variety of different aspects of what I was doing, whether I was creating a furniture line, which I'm lucky enough to start doing, um, or private residences, work in hospitality, design restaurants. I mean, I love designing restaurants. I did the Polo Bar. I did Ralph's in Paris. You know, all of these things that right now are particularly difficult to do, but I'm hopeful we'll come back around, you know, mm -hmm. and I and 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 designing, you know, people's homes, which uh, are are a totally different animal than than more public spaces. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think that residential design and hospitality design are two completely different animals. Um, so yeah. it's amazing that you're able to do both. But I think what's interesting about the hospitality spaces that you've designed is how they have such a strong identity and such a sense of place. There's really a story to be told. And I'm sure that that has a lot to do with, you know, your time at Ralph and Mr. Lauren thinking in a way that's almost cinematic. Yeah, um, totally. It's, it's 100% how, how, how we, and how I, th I thought that way before working for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you visualize it, it will come. If you dream it, it will come. You know, if you if you put it in your head that that's how you want to do something, or how you want to live, or how you want to look, or whatever, you make it manifest. Don't you think? Abs I mean, absolutely. I, I really do. <laughs> I, and um, and so I was um, able to 
do that at work. It's definitely a culture of that. And so now for my, for my new clients, it's, I sort of approach it the same way. I mm-hmm. get to know them first kind of well, or try to as much as I get as much out of them as how they live and what they would like to do with where they're, what, what they're showing me and then present something to them, you know, that's kind of soup to nuts. Right. It makes them feel like there's a whole vision there as opposed to, um, you know, a, a piece of a chair, you know, an arm of a chair or, or here's a carpet resource. Like I don't, I can't function. I don't function like that. Could you tell us a little bit more about that design process and how you get from those initial conversations with the client where you're sort of formulating who they are, how they want the house to feel and function to that stage where you're presenting the full vision? What does that look like for you? Well, for me, I mean, for me, it's really you, you, I put together, uh, well, the conversations with them is sort of walking through the space or the location and having and sort of and having an understanding or, or taking in personally of what I think they're looking for. And then I put it together in big mood boards with all sorts of stuff in front of them. I don't get specific. Like I don't say this is the couch or this is your chandelier because what I've learned is you get, you don't give them that option yet. Like just give them the whole world Mm -hmm. so that they can kind of get excited by it. And then if they start to bite at it, which I found that they have usually, um, then you then you walk away and then you sort of say, well, look good. Now let me start putting together conceptual board, like actual spaces for you. Right. And I and you know, and I when I worked with my team at Ralph Lauren, I had architects on staff. So I work with architects now really easily and and you know And, you know, I like to sort of get into the whole thing. That's so great. So you present yeah. in two steps, it sounds like. You sort of a high level concept, mood kind of thing. And then after they've approved that, you get into the specifics. Right, right, right. And if at that point, if we're t- if I'm working with an architect, let's say there's a ha- the, the, the project I'm working on, I'm working on a big project in Mexico right now in Cabo. And I've been working with the architects who are local uh, Mexican architects to sort of create the whole building from the ground up, right? So at that point, once you kind of lay out the floor plan or lay out the look of the architecture, then comes a meeting where you start to sort of show them what the interior is going to look like. So it just depends if you're doing the architecture or not. You know, mm-hmm. there's the Right. Well, the architecture dictates so much of what the interior should be. Right. Right, which Alfredo, you're cutting out just a little bit. And that yes, now? that's better. Hello. Sorry, I didn't okay. touch it. Nothing happened. Um, ironically, my father wanted me to be an architect, right? And I ended up overseeing a team of architects who taught me so much, and who I in the end we were able to build some really amazing projects, like the. Uh, women's store on the corner of Madison Avenue and 72nd Street or, you know, things that we've done around the world that were never, were just basically a parking lot are now buildings that we left behind that are all part of the story. And I'm really comfortable. I, I feel like if you don't work with the architects in the beginning, the creative, you know, the interior almost doesn't always line up, you know, like it's, 
it's it's really difficult when I walk in and I look at a window and go, well, how did they plan to hang curtains on their window on that window? There's nothing to hang anything from, or right, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, it's yeah. it's you know when like a that. designer isn't brought in early enough, it's incredible how many things can often get overlooked. So was your dad yeah, around yeah, to see yeah. some of those things come to fruition? Yeah, yes. He he passed away when I was 35, but yes, and he was incredibly proud. He was very happy how you know life unfolded for me at that time. And that's wonderful. I'm sure he's very, very proud. Yeah. Thank well, you. I remember when your home in New York was published in Architectural Digest a few years back and it still to this day sticks out in my mind. I remember how beautifully layered it is with rich textures and the color palette is um, very consistent throughout the house, but it still feels like it just exudes so much personality. Could you tell us a little bit about you. your thank approach you. for that yeah. particular house and how you went about designing it? Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so flattered. Thank Truly. you so much. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy you liked it. I'm really happy you liked it. Um, I'm sitting in it right now talking to you. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the apartment, you know, when I first moved to New York in the mid 80s, uh, the East Village was the place where I went, mm -hmm. you know, every night. It's creative, the creativity, the characters. I worked uptown, but I lived downtown. So I am a downtown person. And fast forward 20 years, I... I was living in Tribeca with my partner and it was time to move from Tribeca. And I found this place in East Village that I was like, are you kidding me? This, it sits above a music school and looks out over the, uh, the St. Mark's and the Bowery Church. And literally with a thousand square foot terrace off the, off the living room. And of course, nothing that you see in any of those photos was there. The elevation with the windows, nothing. It was literally an, like, it was like a classroom huh. for a music school. So, but I, I kept coming to see it and I kept coming to see it and I kept coming to see it and I kept getting people with brokers would call me and say, oh, people are looking at it. And I was like, ah, because, you know, it was it was a big project. And then finally, I just looked at myself and said, well, if it isn't now, then when? When am I going to do it? When when will I do it? So we bought it. And, you know, that the church, you know, looking out to the steeple. It, from every window of my apartment, it's like living in a Hitchcock movie. You know, you're like, it's like, it's like, it's like rope or, you know, it, it's fantastic in the winter. The, 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 the bells go off every half hour on the hour and it's just very romantic and you kind of don't know where you are, you know? And so when I approached the interior of it, I was like, well, what, what would I want it to look like? What did I, what is it? And I had been going to a lot to like Amsterdam and Paris at the time. One of the things I did in, in, was buy all the props and furniture for all the projects. So Hall, Amsterdam and Paris were, you know, go-to places. And I would find that I would always end up in some back alley up a flight of stairs into some loft in Amsterdam that I was like, where are we? And then it opened up to some gigantic garret, you know, or something. And I thought that was so romantic, you know? It's like, wow. And that's what I thought to myself. That's what I want this to look like. Some beautiful room that was some studio for an artist at some point. That nobody knows mm -hmm. how it got here and i built it like a set i you know the first thing i said to my you know architect that i was working with at the time was like i want to blow out the wall so i can see that church better and he looked at me like you're crazy it's like no i really want that i'll regret it for my whole life if i sit here in this apartment and i can't see that so that was the first thing and it went from there it well it, it's and funny it's like, i'm looking at it right now as we speak and 
do you mean to tell me that the none of this architecture was here? It sounds like you had the vision in what was a very um, nondescript space to create a fantasy, if you will, a truly romantic. Yeah, fantasy. I mean, it was it was. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how you go in Rome, you go, to, you're out on these terraces on a piazza where the flowers and then I was like, God, right. that's what I want. I want like it's something that transports me, but that isn't nostalgic too. people don't walk into my apartment and go, oh, it's oh, that's OK. Sorry. Uh, don't walk into my apartment and go, it's nostalgic or it's it's, uh, you know, they don't know where, where it's from. And I wanted something that was classic yet modern right like that you you didn't feel like it was something from well, another it feels time. it definitely feels that way and i being on instagram i feel like you were um ahead of the curve by several years because now i see a lot of you know plaster walls and these steel windows and doors have become so popular and the wooden beam ceilings and sort of this like rustic modern approach and you obviously did that yeah. before anybody else did <laughs> well thank you well yeah i mean it's it's very true to the way i think it goes back to my sort of weird hippie upbringing you know lots of spanish houses with timber ceilings and coral gables or coconut grove and you know i i'm just a fan for that i mean one of my favorite places is chateau marmay for that reason i just love the whole thing you know the whole vibe um to find on the east coast either it's just it's just different it's tutory or it's whatever it just it but i but it'd be something unique that wasn't like a white sheetrock room or like a library with crown molded like i just didn't in that space mm -hmm. you know and uh, as far as color palette I'm not, I'm not great when there's a lot of different things going on in, a, a, you know, in, in one space. Do you know what I mean? Like, I like things to flow. The, the bathrooms relate to the, <laughs> relate to the bedrooms. The living room relates to the kitchen. Because it's pretty much, you see right, it all at one time. There's a common thread. So, yeah. Even the terracotta umbrellas that I put outside was because when I looked out, it was nothing but brick. Terracotta oh, brick wow. everywhere. Because I was like, well, you put blue out there and you put black, you put gray. And I was like, no, I'm that's so smart. That is so smart. Well, <laughs> you know, and it just that's it why just, you're Alfredo Paredes. You. <laughs> because you, <laughs> thank you. But right, yeah. like, what else would you have done? I was like, I'm not putting up, you know, I was like, that looks kind of Roman and chic, that terracotta color. Mm -hmm. Let's do, let's, let's go with that. So, how would you describe your personal style? I feel like you're able to work in so many different aesthetics, but at your core, what is your personal style? I think my, my early childhood years in Coconut Grove among hippies <laughs> really, really influenced my view of the world. I, at Ralph Lauren, you know, you could be the guy that wore three, you know, tailored clothing, or you could be the double RL guy. Mm -hmm. I was always the double RL guy. I leaned to the more bohemian, rustic, you know, found rich, but not precious. Love old things, but not, you know, precious things. Does that make sense? Like, I like it. I like a lot of patina, but I like to temper it. I don't want to feel like I'm you know, in, in just an entire old Definitely. world. Does that make Absolutely. sense? 
One of my favorite, favorite designers is, that I respect mm-hmm. a lot is Axel Vavort. And I love mm-hmm. everything that he does. And whenever you're in his spaces, which I've been in a few, you're just like zened out. It's, it's I agree. great. Yeah. So and you have that room. sort of yeah. juxtaposition of modern and really sort of organic. And I hate the word rustic, but you know what I mean? Like sort of. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, like that ceiling, I mean, I could have put up a timbered mahogany ceiling. I didn't really feel like that was the way it didn't feel like me. I like the, I like the simplicity of that. People say to me, did you, was that here? I'm like, no, I put that in. So it sounds to me like you have a really strong understanding and handle on your style and your vision. And you obviously have such a strong ability at executing a vision. What advice do you have from, for someone who isn't quite there yet and maybe struggling to pinpoint their vision or define their aesthetic? Um, well, I think, let's see. I think listening to your gut is really important. I mean, I meet a lot of younger people today that'll say to me, well, and I'll say to them point blank, well, what, 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 what excites you? Like, what, what's your, what makes you passionate? What are you passionate about? Like, when you look at something, what do you want to say? And a lot of, you know, it, they struggle a little bit when you ask them that, you know, sometimes, not all of them, but a lot of them, because I feel like in the world that they're living in now, there's just so many options. They're overwhelmed by options. Do you know what I mean? And I think to sort of hone in on what you believe in and therefore who you want, who you want to become and who you want to work for or with is important at the get-go. It can change and it can evolve, right? But I think if you, you have to know what you're saying early on, which is something, again, I don't want to keep crediting Ralph, but he really believes that. It's like, if you have something to say, stick to what you have something to say. Believe it. Absolutely. And I think that's important, especially when one works in a creative field, not only to have a deep understanding of what moves you and then in turn, what influences your aesthetic and your point of view, but also to have that confidence. Because when people hire us, they're looking at us to be the expert. And, you know, they don't necessarily want someone to just echo everything that they think or what their initial impulse would have right. been because then right. they don't you're, need you. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, you're, you're, you become a personal shopper for God. You know, that's not, you have to stand for, for what you believe and the, and your ability and your expertise. And, um, and I think for younger people, you know, obviously I was very lucky to get into a situation early on that, not many get to be able to express that and learn at the same time. So, but I always had a belief. I, I always had my own belief and my own and beat my own, you know, I was my own, went by my own, you know, gut and that helped oh, me. Definitely. You know? So what inspires you? Where do you like to turn for inspiration? Well, I was thinking about that earlier sitting here in my apartment and I thought to myself, you know, New York city is one of the most fantastic places in the world for inspiration. Just, you know, sometimes I just, you know, go out for a walk and say to myself, turn left instead of right when you know the, the right is the way to your house. And you end up in some place new that you've never been in that's one city block that you'd never went to and then find something incredible. You know totally. what I mean by that? It's like, it, it's like I have a Vespa and, uh, and when I find myself that I love to just get on it and ride around the city. And before you know, you end up in places you're like, what is this? Where is this neighborhood? I have no idea. 
And the stuff that you pick up and see here That's is so amazing. Fun. Well, you yes, know? absolutely. I miss New York so much and the, the energy Where there in Houston. Oh, wow. Well, so I would say the same thing in Houston. I mean, I think just go out. And I also think, you know, watching young people. Be a sponge. Mm -hmm. Watch what they're doing. Watch what they're interested in. Um, watch what they're wearing, the things that they are, you know, and sort of so you can get a beat of what's happening. For sure. That's great advice. Who are some of your style icons? Well, I put, uh, first of all, Ralph Lauren, mm -hmm. of course. The architect and interior designer, Bill Willis, uh, which I love his work. Love, love, love his work. Oscar de la Renta, since I was a little boy, I, you know, growing up in Miami and growing up as a teenager, I always admired his work and the women I grew up with wore Oscar de la Renta. And then I saw his house uh, in the Dominican Republic, uh, you know, and I just loved his work. thought he was great. Very different than Axel Vavort. I love Axel Vavort's sort of restrained, minimalist, rustic, sexy interiors and architecture. And then I love Gianni Agnelli. I think he's super chic. Everything have you about seen, just Have you seen the it. HBO documentary about Gianni Agnelli? It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amazing, amazing. You know, and it's funny because he's such an influence for so long and for so many people, but you don't even really know it because, you know, he's, he, I don't know. It's just he he's, he permeates right. so much. Well, I think know? the common thread between all of the people that you've just mentioned is that they're people who know how to live. You know, even even though Ralph and Oscar are fashion designers and eventually did things in home, they're people who live beautifully and no detail goes unnoticed or un, or spared. You know, they, it applies to every right. aspect of their lives, and I think there's something really inspiring and aspirational about that. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. And I mean, and, and Bill Willis, I went to, when I went to Marrakesh for the first time, I didn't really know who he was. And every interior that I walked into or in every restaurant I went into, I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. Who is it? And then it was like, oh my God, it's this guy who's an American, blah, blah, blah. And so I just did my homework on him and I was just, just That's, mesmerized. Yeah, I'm going to have to look him up. I'm not familiar, but thank you. I've learned something new today. Yeah, you will, you will. He's amazing. He's amazing. So tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on that you're most excited about. Well, getting this house in Cabo almost finished. Um, it's, it's more like a mini hotel. Um, it should be done by the winter. Of course, it got a little bit derailed thanks to COVID, but it's on its way. Um, it's from the ground up. It's for a couple who I'm very close friends with who are celebrities and you know, it's it's like it, it's modern, but with a really beachy, rich hippie vibe. So, and I was able to work with this. This has been going on for about two and a half years. So I'm I'm excited to see it come Amazing. together. Amazing, mom. Who doesn't love a rich hippie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I you know. know what I mean. Like you don't wear anything but a, you don't wear anything but a bikini the whole right. time. Right, and it's laid back, that's, that's but it's still really beautiful and well thought out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love exactly. that. Sounds that's perfect it. for yeah. being on vacation. Exactly. So I also read recently that you're working on a furniture collection. I am. I'm, I'm literally just getting started, so I don't want to give too much away, but I'm very so excited and so happy to be working with, you know, the people at EJ Victor, which are the people that I worked with before. And I'm excited. You know, I never 
I mean, uh, it was a very, it's just great when people trust you and they say, sure, let's do it. And I'm, I'm grateful. So hopefully it will launch uh, a fall of next year. I guess that's the Amazing. fall. Amazing. And hopefully, you know, all of this pandemic will be behind us by then and everyone will be back at market in person. That's right. That's right. You know, the beauty, the one thing I'm, I'm grateful for in this pandemic is that people are really focusing on their homes. Yes. I don't know if you've found that, but people, are, I mean, I, I know people, I know I am, and I know people are really, you know, saying if we're going to be here, let's, let's fix it or take care of this right. or do that. So yeah, we've been great. extremely fortunate. The silver lining. Well, to that end, I'll ask you one last question as we wrap up. What, what is currently okay. giving you hope in the world of design or otherwise? Honestly, and that was the last question. I, you know, my two beautiful children. That's it. Seeing them, seeing the world through their eyes and trying to do what you can to, um, you know, make it make a better future for them. That's really where I'm at, you know. And I think in part, I think that's why I made the change in my career was to be more present and be more, more at home and more around and not traveling all over the world all the time, or at least not on my own pace, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and, you know, whenever, and just making sure that they're happy and safe. And that, that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of Well, optimism. I can't think of anything better than that. <laughs> well, Alfredo, this has been such a delight. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing more about your story and your trajectory. And I can speak for myself when I say that I'm so excited to see what the future holds because you're absolutely brilliant. And I know that there are amazing things in the future from you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so you. much. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. That was creative entrepreneur, Alfredo Paredes. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at palomacontreras.com under the podcast tab, where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the style files, please consider spreading the word and leaving us a positive rating or review. It will only take a few seconds of your time and will make a huge difference for us. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.